Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Voting in the 2022 general election begins on October 10th, and this week we're focusing on state ballot measures. Proposition 29 is back on the ballot, and it has to do with kidney dialysis. If it sounds familiar, it's the third time this issue has appeared on the ballot in the past five years. Prop 29 would require a licensed doctor to be on site at dialysis clinics at all time. Supporters say that adding a doctor would improve patient care. Opponents say it's not necessary and would create an undue burden on clinics, possibly causing them to close. In this episode, you'll hear from both sides. First, you're going to hear from an SEIU union member who represents the Yes on 29 campaign. Then you're going to hear from a public affairs rep, a doctor, and a patient on the No on 29 side. Uh, okay, today the UT editorial board is talking to um, some folks on the Yes on 29 uh, state ballot proposition. Uh, we're joined by a couple members of SEIU uh, UHW um, who are advocating for that. So why don't you guys take it away with a brief uh, with a brief introduction? Thanks for joining us today. Sure, sure. And um, I'm David Miller from SEIU UHW. I'm the research and policy director for the union. Um, really at its most simple, um, we're trying to add more clinical staff um, to the dialysis clinic. Um, we think that's the sort of heart and soul of our ballot measure. We think that the clinics have really significant quality of care problems. So we see this as a way of improving the patient experience. Um, we found millions of bad treatments uh, in clinics over the few, last few years across California. Um, this comes in the way of dialysis being run too quickly. Um, it also has a major disparate impact where it's impacting Asians and Latinos uh, more so than other ethnic groups. Um, so we think the clinics are in need of more medical supervision. So the real sort of heart and soul is we're looking to add um, one MD or a nurse practitioner or physician assistant into the, into the clinic to improve care. I mean, that's the, the soul of, of what we're up to. Um, uh, the, we also um, are seeking to uh, prevent discrimination inside the clinics um, and based on, based on payer type. Um, the dialysis has some really perverse payer incentives where um, certain payers, commercial payers, pay five, six times what Medicare pays. And so there's uh, pressure inside the clinics um, to treat commercial folks and not treat other folks. So we wanted to make sure at the state level um, that uh, the clinics could not discriminate against uh, individual patients based on payer status, uninsured as well. Um, and then uh, we've added um, uh, a, a provision on collecting data around um, joint ventures. Uh, this comes from the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, uh, folks have been trying to understand and study if when physicians enter into um, joint ventures, uh, with publicly traded companies like Fresenius um, and DeVita, does it impact the way that they um, deliver care to dialysis patients? And that data has been very difficult for academic researchers to get a hold of. Uh, it's um, not filed currently. Um, it, the, and the forms that are filed are incomplete. So we wanted to come up with a better set of data so folks, folks could look to see if um, the, this sort of influence was harming care as well. We also regulate closings. Uh, Currently, uh, dialysis clinics are not regulated. Um, they're closed for profitability reasons, and they actually are closed um, with some regularity around the state. We want to put an oversight mechanism in place where the Department of Public Health 
uh, can review closures and see if they're warranted or not. Um, so that's the sort of um, what what we're trying to do. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, move into questions or however you want to proceed. Um, I guess my, my question is, you know, this is the, the third uh, ballot measure in, in five years that the union has attempted to get voter approval for 60% and then 63% of voters said, no thanks. Um, what makes you think this is different? Why should it be different? Yeah, so starting with the first um, ballot measure, we were actually in a, um, it was around Obamacare essentially that um, the dialysis clinics had um, had dumped patients into um, the Obamacare exchanges and really had ruined risk pools and were one of the major factors why um, Obamacare prices had shot up. And us in a coalition that included CalPERS, we were working with uh, the insurance industry, other union payers. Um, we successfully um, helped pass AB 290, which is sort of part of a rubric of issues that we're trying to tackle that problem in terms of uh, the dialysis companies being able to spend millions of dollars, give it to a foundation, have that foundation find people on government insurance and transfer them onto private insurance to maximize their profit. So the, I would say the first ballot measure, um, while we did loss, um, blues, it was part of a larger set of reforms. And we also passed AB 290 in that uh, push. Um, and we, I think we successfully brought a, a spotlight to some very bad, bad practices in the dialysis industry around pricing and harming the Obamacare exchanges. Um, so, you know, while the ballot measure wasn't um, successful in that case, uh, we do think it led to reforms and sort of a spotlight on the industry. Um, we then uh, shifted to quality of care issues um, in the next year. Um, and that also meant we were going it more alone. Uh, and part of that originated out of um, an attempt to do staffing um, in the legislature. We had moved a bill um, to increase staffing. Um, our supporters inside the dialysis clinics uh, have been complaining about staffing. Um, and so in our conversations, both with patients and with workers, you know, if we were to add a modest level of staffing, you know, what, who would be the most sort of impactful when people said a high-end clinician, you know, somebody who could help um, with patients as they're experiencing uh, more extreme events, um, can help adjust uh, some of the prescriptions that are coming into high for what's called ultrafiltration. So we made a run at that, and that was our first sort of patient care um, uh, push. Um, and then that you know, obviously we, we lost that one. Um, and so we're coming back on this one and we're, we're making changes to it. And um, we believe we moved, we heard a lot of criticisms from the other side and we adapt, we believe we adapted it towards their criticism. So they criticized us that there wasn't an experience criteria for the staffing. So we added a six month criteria staffing. Um, there weren't enough MDs. So we added nurse practitioners and physician assistants uh, to expand the pool of advanced practitioners who could help out uh, we heard from the rural clinics that they were worried about getting access to care and then sort of based off of really, you know, some of the improvements, maybe improvements the wrong word, but some of the success of um, telecare during the pandemic, um, we included a, a, a telecare option for some of the rural clinics so that workers in the clinic, if there's, you know, the clinic doesn't have the ability to hire an advanced practitioner that they can get um, somebody on the line to help them if there's a situation. So. Um, you know, we think we heard their criticisms um, that they had levied, you know, as part of the campaign against us. Um, you know, we think they're wrong on the hospital, I'm sorry, on the, on the dialysis closing issue. Um, currently, it's not regulated. Currently, they close 
clinics for profitability reasons um and you know and and <laughs> that's just what they do um you know they're profit motivated institutions and so we are actually adding you know regulation to, on the closing piece which we think is important um so you know that's you know there's some of the improvements we made and then we were also approached by academic researchers and investigative reporter who wanted to really look at this um joint venture issue because it's very obscured by the companies so we added that in so we think we've made you know improvements in terms of hearing the other side's criticisms also getting feedback uh from other folks about what they would want to see in the bill and then i think on the closure issue we, we actually reject their arguments that this is a is going to lead to closures and uh you know that close you know, that dialysis clinics don't need to be regulated around closures so you know we think we're moving towards them so yeah well one of their criticisms now is that this the, the, the regulation the requirement the mandate to have a doctor or someone else in a similar capacity be on staff be on site um, is unprecedented that no other state has that do you agree with that and, and and why then should california do what 49 other states do not do yeah yeah so so cms requires a medical director that it requires them to be on site a quarter of the time so there is precedent for requiring the the clinic to have a physician and also to have a physician present during certain you know certain periods. So we don't think it's unprecedented it's in CMS regulations. Um, and then we really look in the international context. America is really an anomaly, and you have two two companies that dominate the industry, right? So we think it's probably not particularly helpful to look around the states and say, "Oh, look for Sunnies and David Act the same way in every state in the union." Um, if you look in international contexts in Germany or Japan, you'll find that the nephrologist, not just any doctor, but the nephrologist is on site at dialysis. Um, so, uh, you know, we think there's plenty of examples from around the world of um, physicians being on site and then actually dialysis even being closer tethered to the medical establishment, whether it's in the medical campus um, or more tightly aligned with medical services than you find in the United States. You may say that the soul of this is the desire to improve care, but lots of reporting over the years and most of the editorial pages over the years see this is just part of a naked hardball attempt to get the dialysis companies to accept union representatives. Now, this is not the critics of this saying this. This is people who looked at the criticism and evaluated it, decided whether or not to support your two past measures. So what do you say to those who just see this as union hardball as opposed to a principled attempt to help dialysis patients? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think you can look to our, our track record most recently in Los Angeles, right? Like we moved the $25 minimum wage for union, non-union, no agreement with the union, you know, necessary for workers to get that. Um, we then, uh, you know, those are getting passed at the ordinance level. Some of those are going to be ballot measures. Uh, in our negotiations directly with the California Hospital Association, we included dialysis workers, no, you know, over the objection of uh, the dialysis clinics. Um, you know, in which workers would get a $25 an hour raise. Again, no union agreement. Um, so I think, you know, we've shown by walking the walk that we're doing policy in the interest of workers and patients. Um, we move, you know, we move forward with a pretty significant raise for workers, uh, irregardless of their union status. So, you know, we don't think it's true. I mean, I know that's, you know, we get slammed on that a lot. Um, but I, you know, I think, if you just look at our track record in the policy arena, um, you know we're we're improving workers' lives economically. We're trying to improve patients' lives. Um, you know that it, it. You know we just did it in Los Angeles. So I like I'm. I mean I could say that's you know 
what we're trying to do. You know, we're we're trying to improve folks' life. That's we see the union, you know, as representing workers sort of lit largely in the in the economy and in the policy realm. And that's, you know, that's what we do. And we also we have a patients um membership organization inside our union too. So we have patients who are also members of the union. Um, you know, we actually see ourselves as actually fighting pretty hard for the common good. You know, we have a a ballot measure on medical debt in Arizona. Um, you know, we we see ourselves as doing a widespread, you know, public interest in any number of areas. But no, I hear you. We I I get that a lot, as you can imagine. So the Department of Health and Human Services and others say that America, uh, the pandemic has exposed a shortage of healthcare workers, especially doctors and nurse practitioners. That is only going to get worse because of the aging of primary physicians and the aging of the population. And so if California does not have a worse record than other states, uh, in effect, by forcing dialysis clinics to have more doctors and nurses practitioners, aren't you creating a competition that arguably could take away doctors and nurse practitioners from other fields where patients might be even more at risk? Yeah, I mean, that's a complicated question, right? So um, uh, on the last part of the question about more at risk, not at risk, the dialysis patients are some of the frailest um, patients in the system. Like you'd be hard pressed to find um, a sicker group of patients and sort of aggregate. They consume an enormous amount of healthcare services. It's a measurable amount of the Medicare budget. Um, So we do think they are worth special attention and special focus. you know, they're going to have multiple hospitalizations in a year. Uh, you know, so so on that question, you know, we, we actually do think dialysis patients are a particular um, focus given their frailty. Um, you know, we we recognize that there might be shortage um, issues. And in our ballot measure, it gives the state the ability to declare a shortage area and flip stuff into telehealth. Um, you know, so, you know, I think we, we recognize we, you know, when we ran the numbers, we think that there's enough practitioners um, to do this work. We think that there would be a quality of care uh, gain uh, in terms of reducing hospitalizations, in terms of reducing bad medical treatments. So we think it's actually worthwhile, the focus, um, you know, so I think, that, you know, that's where, that's where our heads are at in terms of approaching this problem. Your, uh, your opponents uh, introduced us to a patient who uh, said he gets dialysis three times a week and his doctor frequently stops in to just kind of oversee things. He said a lot of the patients that he uh, is, is in the room with, their doctors drop by as well. So is this, is this uh, just his place that does this or is this a fairly common thing for doctors to do to check up on their patients while they're getting their dialysis. Yeah, I mean, doctors are required as part of the payment system to around at least once a month um, with their patient um, who's in dialysis. So no, that's not uncommon to have sort of anecdotal, uh, you know, visits by physicians. I think our belief in healthcare is that really systems save lives. And so while there might be a physician here or there, when you sort of think about dialysis, you know, as a system that Fresenius and DeVita are operating incredibly efficient, efficiently, they're for-profit, they have some of the largest margins in health of healthcare providers, they're running 15, 16% margins, the hospitals at like 6% margin, um, they're running incredibly efficient and tight on staff, right? So you, um, so while his experience may be that people are coming and going, when we talk to 
folks in the dialysis clinic, if you're responsible for eight, eight patients and two decline at once, you know, somebody um, has an issue with their tubing and they've started to bleed out and the other person all of a sudden has low blood pressure and faints, you don't have enough staff at that moment. You have to choose one who you're going to help first, right? And so in environments that are incredibly efficient, when you run into a systems problem, like it's not unexpected that there would be a systems problem inside a dialysis clinic. I think we have a study from um, earlier that shows that Thinks in Los Angeles, like I think the average monthly, there's three ambulance calls a month or something from dialysis clinics, 911 calls for medical support. That you know you you're you're looking at an an event that needs more staff, right? And so I think people's anecdotal descriptions correct. Yeah, doctors do swing by. They do do. Um, they are looking after their patient. They are required to go in once a month. Um, but really what we're trying to say is we think there's a system in place. It's incredibly efficient. It doesn't have enough staff. We think you can, we, we will share a study with you, which will show that there's millions of bad treatments, that the system is not working correctly. And when a system is failing, you really want to, you want, we think you need to add tighter clinical supervision that comes in the form of a, a doctor or an NP or a, a PA um, to really make sure that the dialysis is going slow that there is an extra pair of hands on in case there is patient crashing or starting to decline that uh, somebody with you know advanced training can say, hey, that patient doesn't look right to me um, and can start to intercede before you get a patient crash and a hospitalization and 911 call. So we, we think it's really about systems um, and not relying on sort of anecdotal visits by um, physicians responsible for their, their single patient. Um, I'll start off and then I'll turn it over to Dr. Wong and then Dwayne. I know we only have 30 minutes, so I'll make it snappy. Um, Prop 29 is the third time in a row that UHW is back with a ballot measure that targets the dialysis community, specifically puts patients in harm's way. Um, the Union Tribune opposed Proposition 8, the first one, on the ballot in 2018. You opposed Proposition 23, the second ballot measure, which was on the ballot in 2020. Proposition 29 is almost an exact carbon copy. There are portions that have been lifted directly from Prop 23 and repurposed for 29. They've made some modifications. I included a chart in the background that I sent or a link to a chart so you could compare and contrast the two ballot measures. But you know, most of the provisions in, in Proposition 29, there's five provisions total. Four of them are either already in law or are one in particular is illegal. Um, the one provision of, of the most consequence is the requirement that a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a physician assistant be on site at all times. That is the provision that also is the most costly. The legislative analyst said it would cost every single dialysis clinic in California several hundred thousands of dollars a year which when you add it up among all of 650 dialysis clinics, it's a huge sum. It's multi, multi millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And I, I know UHW probably would suggest something like, well, that's, you know, the, the providers have a ton of money. They don't need, you know, they can easily absorb this cost. This will improve dialysis care in California. It won't improve dialysis care in California, and Dr. Wong will tell you why. It will directly harm patients by forcing clinics to shut down. Those that are on the bubble, that aren't operating in the black, 
this could send them into the red and they would have to close or do something dramatic. Um, that obviously is bad for patients. That's why we have such a, a big coalition of doctors, nurses, patients, patient advocacy groups, and many others who are opposed to Proposition 29, because specifically because of the direct impact on patients. This is also bad for healthcare costs. It'll drive up healthcare costs. It'll make our emergency rooms more overcrowded, et cetera. But with that, I'll stop and I'll turn it over to Dr. Wong to talk about the main requirement of the physician, the nurse practitioner, or the physician assistant. Uh, good morning. Um, I'm Brian Wong. Um, I'm a, a member of the California Dialysis Council, and I'm in practice for over 30 years in inner city, um, socially uh, and economically disadvantaged patient population of which uh, up to a third of our patients are Afro-American, another third uh, of Latinx uh, descent, and we have quite a few Asians. Uh, in, in this uh, patient mix, which is in uh, inner city uh, urban population, as well as in uh, rural areas, the majority of the patient's uh, insurance are Medi-Cal. That means that these dialysis units are operating on very, very thin margins. Prop 29, if passed, would uh, raise the cost uh, by LAO's estimate of anywhere between 229 to 400 over uh, north of $400 million. In clinics that are really strapped, they can ill afford this kind of additional cost, and especially uh, uh, aside from the two large uh, dialysis uh, organizations, there's also a nonprofit satellite. They are nonprofit, they can ill afford to absorb this cost. What that will mean is that clinics will close, patient will be displaced, they will have to consolidate into other clinics and be absorbed into other clinics. And if their appointment for dialysis is not to their liking because they don't have a ride or if they're going to be in the evening, uh, well, these patients may find it difficult to get to their treatment. They may be tardy, cutting short their treatments or uh, missing them altogether. And missing one treatment, a dialysis treatment, it, uh, uh, incurs a 30% chance of dying. And these patients will present to the emergency room at great cost. The cost will be shifted to the hospital. And eventually the state will have to absorb the cost because hospitalization in Medi-Cal patients will drive up the cost for Medi-Cal. In addition, the requirement for a physician assistant, a physician and or a nurse practitioner with some nephrology background to be in the clinic is not only costly, it's superfluous and unnecessary. The patients in the clinic are being cared for by their own doctors. That extra person as mandated by Prop 29 has no uh, access or immediate access or familiarity with their medical problems. If a physician has, if a patient in the clinic has any problems, the nurse or the uh, dialysis technician will call their own nephrologist. They will not call that extra person mandated by Prop 29. In essence, that individual mandated by Prop 29 only has an administrative role. And uh, be mindful that dialysis clinic operate more than 12 hours. So just having one is not gonna be sufficient because you will have to have more than one in order to fulfill a 12 hour uh, workday. In addition to that, you need to allocate even more than two because of uh, time off and vacation. So not only is it costly, is it necessary, it is superfluous. The clinic, the uh, proponents for Prop 29 said, well, it will add an extra layer of safety. It does not. If their emergency were to occur in a dialysis clinic, if I were there and it's not my patient, my only role is to uh, lend a hand in providing basic life support and call 911. 
if an emergency were to occur in the dialysis clinic, the best place for that patient will be in an emergency room where you have more complete facilities to take care of these patients. So our role in a, any dialysis clinic, other than the usual, uh, if an emergency were to occur, is to really uh, uh, provide the basic life support and call 911. So uh, with that, I'll turn the uh, uh, podium back to Kathy. Oops. And Dwayne, if you uh, are there any questions, or we can have Dwayne sort of give let's his. Let's hear from let's hear from Dwayne, and then we can have a conversation. Okay, excellent. Okay, uh, once again, good morning, everyone. Thank you for giving us a moment to share our, our story. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of background about me because most people have no idea what kidney dialysis is. Um, I grew up on the South side of Chicago and unfortunately both my parents at times were heroin addicts. So nutrition was not uh, something that was generally spoken about in our home. Uh, in most cases actually, um, more food meant more love. So, um, there was never any discussion about uh, uh, how to keep down blood pressure or blood sugar and things of that sort. And unfortunately, that means in the African-American community, as in many other communities today, um, nutrition has fallen to the wayside and uh, high blood pressure and diabetes uh, are running rampant. Uh, I contracted uh, high, uh, I contracted kidney failure through high blood pressure or hypertension. And I was originally diagnosed that when I was 16 years old. Um, as I grew older and I kept working and I just kept going and working um, 12 and 14 hour days, I eventually developed kidney failure. Um, in fact, 13 years ago, I was diagnosed with kidney failure, and now I've been on dialysis for the past 12 years. Dialysis is my life-saving procedure that I have three days a week, uh, four hours each session, that keeps me alive. Without dialysis, I wouldn't be here with you this morning. Unfortunately, Propositions like 23 and now 29 are threatening my dialysis sessions, my dialysis security, and that means threatening my life. Every time I see one of these propositions come up, it honestly angers me. It scares me, but it angers me because it doesn't have to be. Propositions like this should never reach the ballot. As I mentioned when I started, most people have no idea what kidney dialysis is. When I was first told that I had kidney failure, I didn't even know uh, where my kidneys were or what their functions were. And that's the case with most people, they have no idea. So the kidney dialysis treatment, basically I go to a dialysis center and they put me on a machine that is basically a filter. It's a washing machine for my kidneys. 
and all my blood goes out into the machine, gets cleaned of excess um, potassium and phosphorus and things of that sort, and is returned to my body cleaned. Without that, I would go into toxic shock and die. High potassium is the process they use for, um, for, uh, excuse me, for, for execution, for prisoner execution. They put excess potassium in your, in your bloodstream to cause heart attack. So that's the dangers that we have if we don't get our blood clean through dialysis treatments. The problem is, is that this particular um, proposition threatens the, uh, some of the clinics would close, some of them would alter shifts. And that would mean I might possibly have to go to a, a clinic that's further away um, or, um, or much further away. Actually, uh, once I was told that I might have to go 25 miles away from my home to go to dialysis. And that's just prohibitive. I just couldn't do that. So if I miss a session, I end up in the hospital. And I know this because it happened to me once. I had to miss because of a work commitment. And I thought that I would be okay. I went to uh, work on a Friday and missed dialysis session. I ended up in the ER on the next day on Saturday um, with severe chest pains and dizziness. I went to the emergency room and unfortunately they don't know how to treat dialysis patients. They, the physician on call at the emergency room um, diagnosed me with high potassium and therefore requested that I have uh, insulin uh, injected. And I'm not diabetic. I've never had insulin before in my life. And that particular treatment made my blood sugar drop down to 20. Uh, and so now they're trying to raise my blood sugar and they're giving me sucrose intravenously. And I ended up in the uh, intensive care because of this wrong treatment. And that's the scary part about um, dialysis. If we miss dialysis or something happens with our dialysis center, we have to go to an emergency room. That means um, the scary situation for a dialysis patient. It also means higher cost. It means cost um, for the emergency room. It means um, cost for, um, for taxpayers, it means cost for patients. So I tried to avoid the emergency room at all costs. Um, but this proposition could lead to more and more patients going to emergency rooms for treatment when it's unnecessary. And so that's why I get angry when I see propositions like this, because it seems almost vindictive um, from the, the union that they're putting up a proposition like this that wouldn't help dialysis patients. 
I am all for anything that helps dialysis patients. I advocate for things that help patients like Medicare Advantage, I've done that and for other things, but I am all against and will fight against anything that helps that hurts dialysis patients like me and 80,000 other dialysis patients here in California. So that's why I strongly oppose dialysis, um, pro this proposition from um, 29. Uh, also, let me just say that my dialysis center is my rock. I have moved several times over the past 12 years, but I've had the same dialysis center. And those people are like family to me. I know them, they know me. My doctor, my nephrologist, which is my kidney doctor, visits me at the dialysis center every Monday, once a week. So I have complete familiarity with him. He has familiarity with me. The staff there has familiarity with, with my needs and I understand my responsibilities. So to willy-nilly move um, dialysis patients, it's not like going to a hospital, going to the nearest hospital. It is an anchor for our lives, our lives and our lifestyles. So that's why I'm strongly opposed to Proposition 29. Thanks again for listening to the News Fix. To find our election guide, go to sandiegouniontribune.com slash 2022 election guide. There you'll find Q&As with candidates, videos of our interviews, and more. Thanks for listening.